Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Orthodoxical Podcast. This is your host, Kyle Wumgarner, and I am here um, with a very good man, a, uh, a man who is so good that he founded his own organization about that. And uh, he is just an incredible uh, man of God, and that's why I wanted to have him on the podcast. So uh, Jeff Tyler is uh, our guest today, and he is a... Uh, he's a husband, a uh, third grade teacher, a speaker, a minister, uh, an entrepreneur, and he's the founder of Good Men Do Exist, which is a gentleman's lifestyle branded movement. They have awesome t-shirts and hoodies. I'll probably link to their stuff in all our social media. Uh, Jeff is just a really awesome guy. He's a really great man. I respect him a ton, and I wanted to, to talk to him about masculinity and manhood and all that good stuff. So, uh, Jeff, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, brother, for having me. I'm honored to be here. And by the way, I love Orthodoxical. I love your platform. I love this podcast. I love all of the uh, wonderful wisdom that is shared daily. And I'm just grateful to be here. Well, thank you so much. You and both you and your wife, who I forgot, completely forgot to mention that Jeff has an amazing wife who is also doing great ministry stuff. They are a powerhouse duo, um, and they have been a huge uh, blessing to me uh, in this venture as well. So definitely want to give Jenna a shout out as well. All right. Yes. Great. Um, Have a wonderful wife. I'm grateful for. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So Jeff, can you, to kind of get us started and to get you, um, get people acclimated to you, can you give us sort of your spiritual and theological background, kind of like where you come from, where you're at, and, you know, kind of the journey in between there. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I was, I was raised in a Christian household. Mm-hmm. I was, I grew up, it's funny, I grew up in the Baptist church. Um, I was, I gave my life to Christ at age seven mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, grew in relationship with him even more as I, I grew into my teenage years. Uh, I'm thankful for my relationship with my mom and dad. My mom is actually the one who led me to Christ. And we were actually baptized at the same time. Wow. I was seven years old. We we gave our lives to Christ together. We began walking with Christ together. So our relationship has always been special. And so with my background, I was in the Baptist church. Um, I, I actually was in the Baptist church for several years went to a non-denominational church and my spiritual journey is at each stage just really growing growing with God and learning more about his word and uh experiencing his presence and just experiencing uh just seeing uh him working through my life at a very young age I preached my first sermon when I was 13 wow uh, in front of a church it, it, it's crazy and I was so nervous, <laughs> I bet, yeah. uh, but my mom, as I grew up, my mom taught me the importance of depending upon the spirit of God and depending upon my word study and prayer in order to be able to be in a position to be used by God. So um, I, I remember just that moment was just life changing for me. And then at age 14, um, I preached my second sermon at, a, at, at the same church. And uh, from then, then on, uh, in high school, I was president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes there. I, I, I was a football player, baseball, ran track. 
um, and really was taught at home the importance of not only going to church, uh, knowing the word, but actually living it as well. And so my parents were really firm when it came to prayer and spending time with God. Um, that that I'm really thankful for because it's really guided me uh, from from this point on. Um, fast forward to current. So uh, as you mentioned, yeah, I I am a speaker. I've had the opportunity to um, preach at different churches, to speak in different places, and uh, I've been in youth ministry as well. Also, I received my ministerial uh, license, took classes also at uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, where I studied there. And pretty much uh, that that's my spiritual background. Just really, uh, mom has always taught me as well as dad, that God, keep God first, keep God first and make him your priority. If you, son, if you handle his business, he will take care of your business. So keeping him priority, keeping him first, that's been a central, very central part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually really helped me to, to this day. But I will say through my spiritual journey, a lot of what I believed about my faith, you know, how I believed, you know, we have the foundational piece about Jesus Christ, right, the Savior, right. he came into the earth you know, uh, the hypostatic union as um, as both God and man, 100% God, 100% man. He came to, he died, he resurrected, um, he rose on the third day. And, you know, the foundational principles of the faith I have, but how I believe it has really evolved a lot. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of, <laughs> and I'm sure you're familiar, as you grow older and mature in Christ, a lot of what you believe doctrinally, it changes it and it should change and it should evolve. Uh -huh. um, and, and there are some things I noted. I noticed that as I've grown, OK, this felt like great information at when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But now as I'm studying scripture and really uh, getting to know Christ more, you find that some of the things you believed, it's like it, it was well intended as it was passed on, but it was not 100 percent accurate. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just grateful for uh, that evolution and where I am now spiritually. Yeah, man. It, like, I remember you were just in a, we were talking uh, offhand before this, that you were yeah. just in a, you were just in a YouTube video, which I'm sure I'll link to that as well. Um, and I, I think I had messaged you after I saw like the first cut of this, because our stories are like crazy similar. Wow. Um, <laughs> and just in terms of like, well, I just, and it's funny to me because I think it's a pretty rare, or at least in my experience, and I don't know if this has been the case for you, but it's been a yeah. pretty rare thing to be like the good church kid in general, but particularly to be mm. the good church guy. Mm. I think it's just a very rare, like the, the guy, oh, who yeah. is, you know, the guy who was like, you know, they, you were always involved in church stuff and ministry and you were, and I was at FCA, I was at FCA too. I was <laughs> oh, FCA wow. Leader. Look at that. <laughs> I played, you know, I played a bunch of um, sports in high school and, you know, great, you know, great Christian home, great parents and yeah, kind of just a similar thing. And so, but I, I also really resonate. And I think you'd probably would agree with this as well, that it's, it's not just the doctrine, but it's like, it's how you hold it. Changes. Mm, absolutely. I, I was a while ago, um, 
I was talking with a, a pastor friend of mine and he was, you know, just an older, very wise mentor. And he was kind of laying out for me like this, this idea that he was working on that he was talking about. He was saying like, in terms of stages of Christian growth, there's like, you start as a child um, and then you move to being a teenager and then you become an adult. And he was talking about how, like, when you're a child, like when you're a young Christian, it becomes about like the rules and obedience and just kind of getting like that, like you said, like the foundational stuff. Right. But the hard part is that so many people just, they stay there. Mm. And then Christianity yeah. becomes all about like, that's right. Either, either I follow all the rules perfectly and try to get it all right all the time. Or I realize that I'm never going to follow the rules. And I just say, the heck with all of it. I'm just going to, you know, run wild and kind of yeah. do what I want. And I feel like that is a pretty common, um, I think that's a, just a pretty common issue that you see is just people, people yeah. learn, people don't necessarily learn or make space for how to hold the things that we believe firmly, but in different ways so that we're not like crushing it. You know what I mean? That's right. Absolutely. I, I, I do agree. Um, there are a lot of people and I told someone uh, recently that the will of God, it does require our efforts. It does require, uh, you know, our efforts. It You're actually doing something. Efforts. Right. Yeah. We're actually doing something. Faith without works is dead. You know, we, right. we were created to bear good fruit. We were called to good works. Um, but there are some people, sadly, that stay stuck uh, at a foundational level. They stay stuck and they don't evolve and don't progress. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? You know, what, what are we not holding on to? So we hold on um, and you can hold on to something and babysit something and still not grow and evolve right. in something. Yeah. And and, and the, the same, I always say that the, the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that also gives us power to grow and evolve and uh, have a life that not only prepares us for heaven, but a life that reflects heaven on earth to others so that they would, uh, they would want to be saved as well. Mm, so good. Amen. So you're, you're repping the, the brand right now with the good yes, men sir. who exist, uh, the good men <laughs> who exist hoodie. And so I would love to, to know kind of what led you uh, to start this idea. Cause I mean, in many ways, it's just such a bold proclamatory state you know just good men do exist a lot because i'm sure like some people are like okay like you know we get it blah 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 or is that even true is that is that an actual statement? <laughs> yeah i mean honestly like some people might be listening oh, like man. you yeah. good men exist because where they're at like i haven't seen you know so what wow. um uh what led you to start good men do exist oh man let me tell you it, it's funny because i had no idea that I would even be doing this, uh -huh. you know, uh, it's funny how destiny often it gets unlocked in stages, uh -huh. you know, as you grow. But uh, Good Men Do Exist was actually called the Brotherhood okay. years ago. Um, and the whole concept of having a clothing brand and having uh, like different chapters eventually or having other safe space, spaces and different places mentoring, that had not even come into play yet. I was just stepping out on what I felt God had laid on, laid on my heart. So in 2014, 
I, I told Jennifer, my wife, I said, babe, I just really have this strong desire to see men get together, have community, have mm-hmm. brotherhood and be able to have a space where they can receive, you know, the healing that they need, be able to come together and grow and shop. I have this desire. I don't know. What do I do with it? And she said, well, babe, why don't you just start? Why don't you uh, call a meeting and just start meeting? Ask what guys are interested Express what your purpose is, get them together. And so in 2014, our first meeting happened in a library room. And ever since then, every other month, we had continued to meet and continue to gather together. Now, in 2018 is when Good Men Do Exist actually was born. And my wife and I sat down, I expressed uh what my desires were and she helped me give uh give a give a voice to it she gave me the help give me the words and uh i wrote the vision down and a clothing line a clothing brand came with it and this was a concept so the whole mission of good men do exist we exist to change the narrative Mm -hmm. of negative portrayals of men in media and society that's our vision in a few seconds Mm-hmm. The, now how we go about that, there are different ways through safe spaces uh, for men to come together, panels, workshops. We're about to start uh, mentoring in the school in schools right now. Uh, I'm currently on the black male task force at my school. Um, and what that means is there is um, a lot of low academic performance and a lot of trauma with everything that's going on in this country that a lot of young black men have, have, have suffered from. And so yeah. with what we see in the schools, we basically want to do something about it. And so we want to mentor, we want to pour into all men, and the next generation. But uh, as far as good men do exist, when women see this statement on the shirt, <laughs> the typical question I get is, do they, where they at? <laughs> no, I mean, I literally when I first saw it, I was like, I wonder how much pushback he gets from that for people being oh, like, do good men actually exist? You know, like. <laughs> I, I get that question often. Yeah. And it, it's funny because this is it, it, this is becoming a really frequent conversation, especially online right. and in social media. I see it happening a lot, and I'm sure you've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that. You know, good with good men, good men do exist because a good God does. Mm. So to be able to say that good Come on now. <laughs> to be able to say that good men don't exist is like is denying that good women exist. Mm. And, mm. and we can't allow, I encourage young ladies, like don't allow any negative experiences that you've had to warp your perspective or to get you to a place where you're closed off and and have this perception that all men are this way or are a particular way Mm -hmm. that's why familiarity can be fatal because you can see yourself as being what you've gone through Mm -hmm. knowing that you can go through it and you don't have to be it Mm -mm -mm. my my (laughs) yeah well and i'm i i think and i'm I don't know that I necessarily agree with them, but I can see where yeah. I think part of you, and I think you know where I'm going. It's like, I think absolutely is, I think in some ways it can feel like it, when this conversation was first kind of popping off, there was a lot of like the hashtag of like, not all men. 
and you know not all men are like this and it, it it kind of popped up as this way to sort of dismiss the the tr- actual trauma that women had gone through um but that but the statement good men do exist is not necessarily removing blame from men or taking you know, right. taking stuff away from you know things that men have done but it's just saying that look like there are men who are out here that are actively trying to to reimagine the narratives that men have been through in this country. And they're also trying to reimagine the things that, um, the ways that they interact with women, the ways that they interact with themselves, with each other. Um, is, is that kind of like more in line with, uh, with kind of your, your mission, your idea? That's, that's very much in line, brother, with our mission. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said, because in fact, Thank you, because you inspire me. I'm going to make a post about this. <laughs> Good men do exist does not mean your trauma does not. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that statement is very much in line because our mission in the process of uh, rewriting the narrative of the negative portrayals of men in media and society means that we're doing inner work to show that we are not what we've been portrayed as. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. So that's why we have uh, our virtual sessions or virtual meetups or uh, and now because of the pandemic, we've been doing a lot of virtual meetups online or Zooms. We recently had a manhood restored meetup online where we uh, we just walked through uh, what manhood restored means, how to be healthier men, uh, fathers, single men, husbands, you know, uh, uh, covering and encompassing all of those areas. Yeah. So the, the purpose of it is to for us to sharpen each other as well and uh, help us have a safe space to speak our peace in peace and get the healing that we need. Because they are not um, they, I, I really don't think there are enough spaces for men to be able to vent and to be able to share the trauma that they've gone through. And uh, even with that word, that's been a word that's been thrown around a lot and shared a lot, but it can't necessarily be uh, dismissed either because trauma is a very real thing and hurting people hurt other people too and so a lot of men don't know how to be the men that our women need us to be because a lot of us didn't see that growing up a lot of them did not see the model of a of a man communicating in a healthy way with a woman resolving conflict in a healthy way uh, affirming him that it's his son that it's okay for you to cry son right. it's okay for you to feel hurt sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay for you to express emotion in a healthy way and not attaching masculinity to the suppression of our emotions mm, yeah and so I, that is it's so much in there man yeah and well and as as i'm hearing you talk i think there is um you know, I, I think there is such a, yeah, it, you said it so well. I think there's such a a need for those kinds of spaces for men to deal with those issues because, and, and you know, like you can say hurt people hurt people and you can be like, oh, well, that's, you know, just an excuse for people to do what they do. But it's, it's a legitimate reality that if you don't give somebody a blueprint for, for what they, how they're supposed to live their life as a man, they will default to whatever is around them. And, and the hard part, Jeff, is that I think that even 
I think even people that do have good men in their lives, like it takes a village. And I'm, I'm such a firm believer that it's like, I have a really great father, but I think if he was the only good man in my life, I would not be the person I was because I had, I had mentors. I had coaches. Agree. And, and I had, you know, I had good friendships of of people Mm -hmm. that kind of like, we were able to to go through things together. And I think that's so important because you know, just like with everything, like we, we live in a culture and this kind of, you know, even relates to like how we think about church, right? That like church, if church is one hour on a Sunday and then the rest the the other six days of the week are just you kind of in the world doing whatever it is that you're doing, not really taking mm-hmm. focus, intentional effort, then you're going to become like those other things, the things that you're giving your time to. And I think it's the same thing with masculinity, where it's like, if you have one person that's giving you healthy, like godly advice on how to be a man yes. but then you yeah. have all the music that you listen to all the media that you consume all the mm. people that you're around all the yeah all the books that you're reading all the things that you're seeing on the news are telling you these those are five like really strong cultural yeah. streams that are overwhelming that one message and so it just it's so important to have spaces like that where it's like you have a plethora yeah. of people that are reinforcing that message Absolutely. I, I completely agree because I, I look at all the men that have been in my life. I can name several mentors that I've had outside of my dad. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for my dad. Uh, my story is honestly is that my biological father did not raise me. Mm-hmm. My biological father, um, you know, he had struggles. You know, when I was a, when I was very little, when I was a baby, he did not stay with my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he was in a place where he was trapped and he, you know, did not have the resources or the outlets to be the man that he needed, that God wanted him to be at that time in my life. Right. And so and honestly, he had a toxic, you know, uh, relationship with my mom when I was a child. And, you know, it just it was not healthy or conducive for either of us. And I was very little, I was a baby. Mm-hmm. And, but my dad, um, steps into my life, marries my mom, takes full responsibility for me. And he didn't physically birth me, but he raised me. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's the man, that's my dad I live with, I grew, I, you know, everything. And, and so I, I tell men that the men that God sends in our lives, to uh, don't have to be the men that birth us. They just have to be the men that love us. Mm, yep. And it is now, don't get me wrong. It is God's desire that the men that birth us, that they raise us to be healthy, strong, godly men. That is God's desire. Uh, manly men. Uh, I like how Eric Mason describes it. Beastly men. <laughs> or, yes, I love him. Or men that... Um, dominate and become a reflection of God on earth. But I'm just grateful for, and, and I, I honestly, I still have contact with my biological father. It's funny because it was after I graduated from college that we were reunited and I hadn't seen him in 21 years. Wow. wow. And um, when it happened, um, I, I hold no bitterness. I have his phone number. We talk and everything. And I and my dad is is still my dad. But um, I thank God that I was still able to reunite and re, be able to reconnect with him. But um, a friend of mine once told me that sometimes in ways that we don't realize it, could it be 
that a father sometimes a, a, a father's absence is God's way of protecting you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's depending it's, on the situation, right? Like it's it's so tough because it's like sometimes like people who don't have that relationship are like, oh, yeah. I just wish. I just wish my dad were here. Like, I know things would be yeah. different. And some people are like, I wish I'd never met my dad. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah, I totally, yeah, totally resonate with that. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, not how it was designed to be. That's mm-hmm. not how it, it was designed to be. Um, if we look at the biblical framework and look at the purpose uh, for even why man was created, I think if we get back to the original intent, an original plan of God, which we've gotten away from, then in there, we can truly find a purpose. We find a purpose for fatherhood. We find a purpose for manhood in general. Mm -hmm. So kind of, you know, we've been talking about this stuff a little bit and just messaging and and stuff about masculinity and whatnot. So what messages do you remember hearing about being a man and and Mm -hmm. being um, you know, being masculine growing up. Um, and so I, I guess I've maybe split that into two parts. What do you remember sure. kind of just generally hearing, um, just kind of out in the culture? And then what do you remember mm. hearing? What do you remember hearing in church? Um, wow. messages around that in church, if, if there was anything. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I can't help but, but go right back to promise keepers <laughs> and go back to in church, the message that messages messages that I heard in church about manhood were completely different from what I was hearing in the culture. Uh-huh. In the culture, through media, through hip hop videos, growing up, mm-hmm. um, and and as we know, t- t- some messages, a lot of messages are still the same, even though the style of how they're delivered has right. changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was if you're a man, you you know you have all this money, you get all of these women, um, you you can talk to all of these different girls. You're not a man unless you have money. Unless you have uh, all, all, you know, all of these possessions, cars, go all of this stuff, jewelry, ice, whatever they, you know, and there was one definition according to the world. And then it was in church. I remember uh, hearing that a real man gets on his knees and prays. A real man humbles himself. A real man submits to authority. Um, a real man submits to leadership. And he's not defined by his sexual drive. Or how deep his pockets are. Mm. You know, his manhood is connected to his relationship with God and his identity and who God made him, his identity in Christ. Those were the messages that I was hearing. And uh, what I'm thankful for is that there were times I got distracted, just like any teenager. Like there was a point in my life, Kyle, like I, I had this desire. I was going to go to college, I was going to play football, get a scholarship to college, do sports go to the pros. I'm, I was going to do all of this stuff mm-hmm. my way. Right. And there was a point where I was so focused on that. And I got so focused on girls in high school that my, I started being distracted in my relationship with God because I was starting to listen to the messages of the world. And there were times that um, I, I had a lot of struggle with insecurity and in comparison because my freshman year, I see all of these dudes. I mean, they're strong, they cut up, they, you know, they're good at football. You know, all the girls are paying attention to them. And here I am, I'm this scrawny little skinny guy, this church boy, which yeah. people respect it, but often also reject it too. And, you know, you weren't, you weren't the, you weren't desired. Yeah, there you go. I wasn't desired. Right. You know, you want, you so, want to be the, yeah, you want to, you want to be wanted. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. there's an innate need for all of us to be wanted. So because I wasn't desired, 
any girl that came along and paid attention to me, I was just like on cloud nine. I was like, yeah, my <laughs> wife right there. And it's like, nah. <laughs> oh man, because it feels good when you get that. But um, yeah, I just had to be reaffirmed and I had to get again the right men around me. This is why I'm glad I had a good solid church community too that helped keep me accountable. Because at one point I was so distracted that um my dad had to pull me off the football team. Seriously. And that like wow. broke my world. Talk right. about your dreams, <laughs> like going in the toilet. He literally pulled me off because my grades started slipping. Well, and it's like, I, I mean, I, it wasn't, it was, it's been, gosh, it's been 10 years since I've graduated high yeah. school, but I, you know, like I work with high school and college kids on and off and just, and you, you know, you're a teacher where it's like, you're, yeah. when you're in that space, there are, there are like a few things in your life that matter. And it's mm-hmm. one is how girls or the opposite sex things of you. And the other there is you go. like, if you're sports, like if you can't play the mm-hmm. sport, you're like, you're like, why, why should I even bother getting out of bed today? Like, why, why, <laughs> right. living, why is life worth living if I can't play football? You know, oh my like, gosh. it just is like, it feels like your world is that thing. Yep. It, yeah. it really does. And I does. And I uh, had to go through an entire year with playing those sports, but in my junior year, but I noticed that when that happened, my focus was rerouted to where it should have been in the first place, not making sports the source of my identity, but that my identity wasn't was in Christ, was in God, was in the right things. Yeah. And so um, it's funny, my senior year, I went back to playing sports again, but this time with a different focus, not worshiping it or idolizing it or using it as a point where, hey, you know, I can get all this affirmation. I had to realize that my affirmation came from something way deeper than what people could give me. Mm. And, and see, all of those issues, believe it or not, people may listen and say, well, you know, that was high school. You grew, grew out of that. But people will be surprised how those same habits follow you into adulthood. I was yeah. Say, yeah, I'm telling you, I mean, because we have a lot of little boys in men's bodies right now. Mm-hmm. who are still trying to live out lost high school dreams and chasing the same affirmation that they were chasing. In Come high on. School. And they're supposed to be men, but they're living like boys. Mm-hmm. And like Andy Minio says in one of his songs, get out of that tree house, leaving milk and cookies alone. Mm. So, Dang. I mean, that, that then we start taking those habits and how we, uh, how we use women go from relationship to relationship, can't keep a relationship, can't keep a friendship, can't keep a commitment, mm. you know, because of what's broken on the inside and we don't realize it. Mm. Gosh, I mean, I, so for, for people who don't know, I work at a university and I, and I work with, um, I work as a career counselor. And so I have, I have like college athletes in particular, mm. they're yeah. just like, they're like, I know, like, I'm going to the league. This is what I'm going to do. And this is kind of, yeah. that's, this is kind of all there is. And so mm-hmm. it's curious to me, like, what, like, what for you clicked where you were like, I, cause I mean, that's the, th- that's the thing, Jeff, is that I, I work with these kids and they literally can't yeah. sleep past. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, as their career counselor, I'm like, look, you could go to practice tomorrow, tear your ACL and never play football again. 
and never go to the league, you know, or, or like, right. or I'm um, like, you were a division two school. So I'm like, mm-hmm. so you are telling me that you're going to have to go up against all the players in the sec, all the players in the ACC, mm-hmm. all the players in the big 10 for who are all going to be gunning for those spots. And you won't eat. Right. And I'm like, and like, you're, you're thinking that you're going to outwork all of them and get in the draft and you won't show up to practice on time. Like I'm like, just like, see how quick I'm like, see how quick that flies. Like, see, like you, if you get a draft invite and you like show rolling 30 minutes late, like they just won't, yeah. like, they're not going to pay attention to you because they know you're not serious. That's right. And it just uh, like, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, I'm totally going off script by the way, but like what, no, Hey, it's you, fine. Like, what for you as like a, as a high school student, um, particularly as a male high school student, like yeah. what clicked for you where you were like, I need to change the way that I'm, mm. I'm living my life and the, and the, yeah. the way that I'm kind of conceiving of my life being right now. Mm. Well, click for me again in my junior year when I had no sports, no distractions, when I wasn't dependent upon cheers from other people or attention or me being a center of attention because I was on a, on a, on a football team. Uh-huh. When I did not have that and it was my parents had taken that away. And it was just me, God, the classroom and church. Mm-hmm. That is when it really like clicked for me. Hey, that I have a bigger purpose. The, the purpose that God has for me is bigger than what I've been picturing, than mm-hmm. what I'm thinking that it is. It goes beyond this. You know, I knew since I was uh, in high school that God wanted me to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and already, I was operating in purpose in high school, leading fellowship of Christian athletes, prayer at the flagpole. I think what really clicked for me is when we had prayer at the flagpole, flagpole day, uh, which happens every year. And we went and there were about 15 to 20 students. And um, all, all of us, we took turns praying, but I began to pray. And all of a sudden, I felt God's presence just come over me heavy. Right. And I just started praying prayers. I don't even remember. I was praying for the school, praying for the principal, praying for our city, praying for the students. And then when I stop and when I look up, I see people in tears. Mm. These were high school students at the flagpole. Yeah. God met us right there at that very moment. Mm. And I said to myself, I need to make sure that my focus is clear and that my focus is right. My mom had constantly told me, you cannot afford to be distracted right now Mm. because my focus being where it should have been was bigger than me. Yeah. It was bigger than me. And I think that for a lot of men and women as well, we live in a culture kind of so self-absorbed Facts. And we live in the era of the self-exhorters. Yeah. Mm. And so in, in a culture that's so self-absorbed, if God, if we are going to be see heaven open, we have to first take our minds off of ourselves so much. Mm. Yeah. You can't be a secret saint or a self-centered saint and see heaven open. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's when it really, really clicked for me. And I needed this before I went to college, because when I went to college at the Bowie State University, shout out. The, the illustrious Bowie State. They just, they just beat <laughs> yeah. the institution that I work for for the third time in the football championship. We are going to talk about that. 
for <laughs> don't change the subject now. We, we got the subject. <laughs> it was a rainy day. <laughs> we didn't have the best. Our running back it, it, like had like sixty yards on the ground. Oh man, the it was just really cold. The ball, know? yeah. The flake gate. Tom Brady was there in a mustache. He had a fake mustache handing out underinflated oh, balls. Man. Oh uh, Brady, y'all no, no got us. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I should pull the score up right now. Let oh. me see. Ooh, Bowie State wins. No, okay. I'm <laughs> oh yeah, man. Oh, I'm I'm so grateful, but yeah, I'm telling you, the journey that we're on. Nothing happens by mistake. I'm even seeing how even back then, the mistakes I made, the uh, 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 the things I did well in, it's like God is so good. He can even cause your mistakes to work for your good. Yeah. I'm even, you see how all of the story and the puzzle pieces fit together. I love it, man. I love it. Um, shifting, shifting gears a little bit. So we're, you know, we're yes, talking sir. about... Um, you know, it, it was interesting to hear you talk about because I'm like, I definitely get all the messages of like, you know, the message, the world's messages of like being a man is is money, yeah. se- sexual prowess, um, the way that mm-hmm. you look and just like, are you, you know, are you big? Are you strong? Are you cut? Yeah. Um, and yeah, just kind of all of this, you know, I'm like, I definitely got that part um, from the world, but I feel like my church didn't it was like, there was like a negative of like, don't do these things, but it was never really connected yeah. to, your, to your masculinity. And it was never like, I think one of the things that you talked about with promise keepers and stuff like that was like, they cast a positive vision for what a man was. And I don't know that yes. my church ever necessarily did that. And so something that I, you know, was kind of wondering is what, um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of studies and there's a lot of like research around kind of why church is very appealing to women. Like women typically attend Absolutely. church more than men. Um, and part of that, yeah. I think it's just because women, you know, there's more women than men population wise. Um, but, you know, there are other people that are like, you know, the church has been feminized and, you know, that's why men are interested in it. And that's why they don't want to go. Um what what is kind of your take on like the church's view of like masculinity and how it caters or like appeals to men and and why why do you think like men need to be in in church or you know with with other godly men or or worshiping god oh my goodness that that's a really good question i would say number one we have a long way to go mm. uh, we have a long way to go yeah um and, and you and so many other men, and I've seen it as well, so many other men have that same testimony, have, have, have gone through that same thing where a lot of, for example, even when it comes to the purity message or messages on sexual purity or purity, you know, a lot of times in the past, what I've seen, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but I've seen a lot of those messages geared toward women a lot, but nothing in a biblically sound way geared toward, and I say biblically sound on purpose, right? because we have a lot of misguided messages Absolutely. Uh, about yeah. how we, because we were pure or because we didn't have sex or because we did that God is obligated 
to give us a mate. Yeah, the it's and like the sexual like, prosperity gospel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, and the sexual prosperity gospel. And I'm starting there because there are the reason I'm starting there is because there are a lot of sexual issues in the church as well, and mm. there are a lot of warped and non-biblical views on that area, even as it pertains to the opposite sex. Right. Which is why people get married and they have a lot of issues and a lot of problems in the area with their mate because of the teachings that they receive prior. But I would say even when it, when it comes to men. Um, we have to do a much better job and go back biblically to, you know, what a man needs. What does a man need? What is God's purpose for man? What is his purpose in action? What is his purpose for why he created us in the beginning? Um, I think if we even go back to Adam and why he was placed in the garden, when God um, created Adam, so you had man, you had God, man, woman animals and the rest of the creation. All right. Now, when Adam sinned and he disobeyed God by eating the fruit from the tree that God told him not to, he reversed that. And now you had animals, the serpent, you had animals, woman, man, God. And it's like God was not primary. He was not first in that decision that Adam made. And so uh, it had a cataclysmic effect on men it had it had and so now every day we're all progressing toward death because mm -hmm. of the sin that has entered into us so I, I think we start there but as far as the church goes um we we just have to do better with encouraging men to be to have community first creating a safe space because men aren't going to open up and be transparent and let their guards down if they don't feel safe right that's number one um i think once we do that we have good, solid community, and we start there with that accountability and letting them know, hey, we care about you. We're here for you. This is a space we have for our brothers. Discipleship also does not have to, uh, in fact, discipleship is not just in the four walls. Discipleship right. can Absolutely. happen in a restaurant. It can happen on a golf course. It can happen in bowling. It can happen anywhere. And so when we create these spaces for men where they can actually be in the community and have other brothers around them doing fun things around areas that they agree on and where they can do life, we begin to open up more doors for that to happen. That's what the church can do better. I think that that's one of the mistakes we've made is we've confined the, um, the gifts in the body, we've confined them to the four walls to stay stuck in the four walls of the church when that's not what God called us to do anyway. Right. We were called to go out and create disciples. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear about your experience with this in church as well. I think, and, you know, some of this is just really interesting. So like the church that I, I grew up in, I grew up in, in a town similar to where I am now. Um, it's just instead of an army base where I'm at now, that where I grew up was a, um, uh, I was right near a Marine base. And so just, you know, very, very heavy military town. And obviously that influences a lot of different things. And, and so I think one of the things that I, you know, was always kind of wondering about, and, and even for like my own dad was that the churches our, our church's sort of view of like men and men's ministry mm -hmm. like their way of building yeah. that community was they would wake up at like 6am on a Saturday, they'd go mm. outside and make pancakes and just, and like, take a, take a hike. Mm -hmm. 
And my dad was like, I don't want to do any of those things. He's like, I don't want to wake up on a Saturday. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And and it's and I think this phenomenon has been talked about now, but it's like there's this almost like I feel like it like pigeon, there's like a pigeonhole that mm. where it's like this is and I was curious, like, has that been your experience as well? Or did you feel like you kind of you were like, hey, like we've got great community, we have men of all different like you know, interests and, and backgrounds that are, you know, or was it, or, you know, was it kind of like a singular, like we're men, like we, we eat meat and we lift weights and we, you know, do all those things and stuff like that. Yeah. It's funny. I grew up in a mega church. That's what's funny. The church I grew well, the Baptist church that um I, I gave my life to Christ and we didn't remain there. We moved on to another church, but where my, my Christian foundation was built after I given my life to Christ, that was a mega church. And so there were a lot of men that would come out. There would be men's breakfast. Right. We have a men's breakfast. Like it's pretty much what you described. Yeah, right. It was that. And we had a men's breakfast come out every second and fourth Saturday, men come together, eat breakfast, hear the word, have discussion. And then once or twice a year, maybe a ret- once a year retreat. And right. then that was it. And so there really wasn't a lot of opportunity to uh, do life in other ways outside of that. And I think that that's what you're what we're getting at is that we have to be careful in the church that when if we're going to attract men um, and men and help them become men's after God's own heart, we can't turn men's ministry or even discipleship into a type A activity. Yeah, where it's just you know this is we do this, we this is we wake up at this time we do this. Now, those things I'm not saying that those things aren't good at times. They're wonderful. Yeah, but I, I, men ha, men all men are not monolithic. We're right. all different. We yeah. like different things. There's some days we may want to go bowling. There's some days we may want to go you know uh, the top golf. We may want to go fishing. We we may want to do a lot of different things. It's not limited to just one or two particular activities. So I think that if the church presents a variety of different ways to do life and have community, and um, I I love when I see this in churches, when a new uh, man or a new believer joins that, okay, someone is there to actually be a friend to them and build a relationship with them. Absolutely. Hey, I'm going to call you and check on you like once or twice a week. Hey, this, it doesn't have to be a long conversation. How are you doing? How are things going? Do you have any questions? 15 minutes. Hey, we're done. You know, I I think even if in the small things and the regular checkups, having accountability, brotherhood, fun ways of doing life, that's a way to draw them. Mm, That, yeah. And I, I think it's so, it's so powerful. And I think it, it gives you a good opportunity in, in some ways, I think, to as a man start to practice a little bit of like and it's not like a huge thing but to practice a little bit of self-sacrifice in the sense that like you know what i might not like um i might not like going fishing or you know waking up earlier doing those things um or you know it's like i have friends who i'm like i'm sure they would love a wine and paint night more than they would more than they would like you know going to like wake up early and go like axe throwing or something like that but it's like as a man you say like okay like how can i be hospitable like mm. how can i how can i you know 
view that view this as like okay this is my brother in christ like how do i love him as my neighbor as myself mm-hmm. and like how do i make that sacrifice and it doesn't mean again it's like it doesn't mean you do it every time you right. know it's it's a relationship it's it's give and take but it, it's just it provides such a good opportunity for you or yeah, for, for men to say like okay like how do i lay down the life for the sake of my others because yeah. that's what Christ did for us yeah that that's it that's good. You see it said so a key word, self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, learning to uh, die to self. I, I think all that's important. Like you said, the, the a sip and paint night. I, I think we just have to really broaden our scopes and really open our minds as a church to doing life. Even if we look um, at the ancient church during biblical times, how there weren't four walls. There weren't yeah. buildings. Right. Churches were held in basements. Churches were held in homes. And the community, I, I think it goes back to also redefining our definition of church and aligning our definition mm-hmm. of church with ecclesia or mm-hmm. ecclesia, the call yeah, out was the okay. gathering or, or aligning it biblically. Um, so, yeah, there are just some things that we need to be detoxed from. Yeah. So, you know, as someone who's kind of on the front lines, both, you know, from, you know, running a company and also being a, you know, yeah. a minister, a, a preacher, speaker, somebody who ministers to men in these groups, what, what has been your um, experience in doing th- this kind of like men's ministry and, and working with, like, what are some things that you're hearing, seeing, you know, trends, different things like that? That men desire more brotherhood and accountability. They want to feel safe, man. It's not even difficult. That's the funny thing. Men, we're a lot more simple. We're just, we're just, we're <laughs> not that complex. Right. We, you know, we want, even if it's sitting down over a good meal, having some fun with the guys, being able to have outlets to be able to have brotherhood, community, have a safe space, talk, you know, be able to voice issues that we're having. Men just, that's what I'm finding that they desire is more of that. Because every time we have our, our good men doing this meetups, we go hang out. Like I'm planning um, something for December now, um, axe throwing. <laughs> Come on now, laser tag. <laughs> Look, I I have not been, but it looks so much fun. You, ha- oh my god! Okay, you need to let me know when you're in DC again, or when I'm in North Carolina. We we gonna go axe throwing one day. Look, I'm I'm gonna be home for the holidays, and I'm gonna be near y'all. So I so here really. This is again completely off topic, but like if you draw, <laughs> if you draw a line from where I grew, because you're in Charles County, right? Yep. We're like straight across from each other. Um, just we're we're only divided by the Potomac River. Yeah. Oh shoot, man. But yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about that yeah. when oh, we get here. But yeah, but anyway, go asteroid with Jeff and I. <laughs> yes. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Shall happen. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm finding in Mindy. They uh-huh. they just simply want community. So every time we have these meetups, man, um, or we get together, guys never want to leave. Mm. They'll go from an hour to an hour and a half to two hours because they just don't want to stop because they don't get enough of it yeah i remember i mean there's that there's that famous statistic that's quoted um and i can't even remember i'm totally gonna butcher it but it's essentially it's basically it's like men over a certain age don't have any close friends and the and the friends that they do have are basically friends with it's like their wives husbands essentially yeah but it's just like it's such a 
it's like you said, so many people I know are just like hungry for that. Oh, like they, they are God. like, they're like, I want, they're like, I want bros. And like, I want to be able to hang out with my bros and I want time with my bros or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I encourage women a lot, like do not hinder your husband's uh, or significant others from going out and having a strong, healthy community with other men. Because uh-huh. when you do that, when you don't hinder them, and you, just like you will spend time with your girls, if you allow them to do that with their guys, they they can become better men. Absolutely. As a result yeah, of being around the right, yeah, they become better men. It helps sharpen them. It helps give them different perspectives on things that they didn't have before. But you're right about that statistic. As men typically grow older, they tend to isolate themselves. We tend to isolate ourselves. And um, I'm having to check myself, even with the guys, the community, I have to make sure that I'm checking in, that I'm an example of what I'm asking them to do. Right. That I'm being transparent. If I mess up on something or, hey, man, how did I handle this with my wife? What do you think about this? Did I overreact? Did I say something I shouldn't have? And, you know, in the uh, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. Mm, that's a good word. Scripture tells us if we look at this biblically um, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. But also as iron sharpens iron. So sharpen at the count, the countenance of another man. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we, we, we need to happen. And even when we have that iron sharpening iron, sparks are going to fly. That means sometimes you can frustrate each other. Sometimes you get on each other's nerves. But that's when sharpening is happening. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, absolutely. And just, and I think, uh, particularly now in the stage of life that I've been, like, I'm, you know, I'm seeing so much how, this is just not like the walking in faith with God is just not something that you can do by yourself. And Mm, I think, and I think in some ways that could potentially be why we see, you know, just men having issues with church and and whatnot. It's not just even like the programming or how it appeals or the, or the messages that's being preached, but it's just the, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just that they, they, they're by themselves or like, they feel like they have to do it by themselves or like, you know, like we yeah. feel like we have to do it on our own, but it's just like mm-hmm. the Christian faith does not work. Like you can't, you can't do faith by yourself. No, it, it was, you, that's not, cannot. we weren't created to be that no. way. Yeah. There's no way, you know, uh, uh it, this is not a lone ranger type of, of faith. God within himself is community. Therefore, right. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is community. He represents that. So if God is community, we need community. And, and you know, we just weren't created to do life on our own. Uh, uh, transformation happens best in a context of God's for God first relationships. A, a lot of us are only one person away from the next level God called us to be. And a lot of times we ask God, what is my purpose? When what we should really be asking him is also is where, who are my people? Mm, mm, God, what is my purpose? Okay. But who are my people? Yeah. You know, uh, um, I, I, I mean, the community that I have now, bro, I mean, I have a close knit uh, community of guys right now that if something 
traumatic were to happen in my life right now, I could pick up the phone and call any of them. And honestly, just for the health in my marriage, if I lose my mind or I'm off track or I'm not being obedient to God and I'm not doing right by my wife, she has access. She could pick up the phone and call him. You need to get him. Talk to him. He needs you guys. And, and that's where relational health comes in, too. And a lot of men don't have that. You know, you, you, she yeah. needs to be able to access them. If something goes wrong, she needs to have a solid group of guys who are not going to tell you, man, you should just go do your own thing. Man, just you, you do you. If you cheat, it's whatever. You know, I mean, she ain't doing right by you. So that's not healthy. Right. Yeah. When, I mean, just, I feel like so much of it just comes back to like just relational health in general, just not only between like men with other men, but then also men with their wives and their wife, you know, what, what do you think makes, like, why is it so difficult for men to relate to each other as men? Like what makes like intimacy and like intimate, like godly brotherhood with other men? Like what makes that difficult? Oh, man, there are a number of things I think can make that difficult. One, if you haven't seen that modeled, if you haven't seen that example of healthy brotherhood, friendships modeled for you, even uh, with your dad or other male figures in your life, it's it's really hard to be what you don't see. It's, it's hard really to hard. Be what you don't see. Yeah, it's uh-huh. it, it, it's hard to do that. And so um, when I it comes to that, I think because of how men have been conditioned and how we've been trained to think a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us that that can hinder healthy friendships that can hinder brotherhood. You know, we had one, we haven't seen a model and it's not something that we've been taught or hasn't been encouraged, you know? Uh, And I can't help but think about David and Jonathan Mm. in the Bible. To me, in the scripture, that is, from what I've seen, one of the most healthiest demonstrations of brotherhood that we that we see in scripture is how Jonathan and David, he loved David as his own soul. And in that real healthy brotherhood, there was sacrifice as well. Can you imagine this? You are the son of the king. Saul, you're next in line. You're supposed to be next in line. You know good and well what the, the calling of your friend is. You knew, you know what God has destined for him. You're right. taking off your weapons, your equipment, and you're handing it to him. You're still loving him, adoring him, like you're loving him, you're uh carrying him, you're even protecting this brother, mm-hmm. knowing good and well that you're entitled to have the throne, but God called him to have it. That takes a lot of strength and humility. Mm, yes, it does. This is why I give Jonathan so much credit. He even protected David. And so um, what re- so my question from that comes to any man listening. What brother do you have in your life that is willing to make sacrifices to see you advance, mm. even if it means they don't get their own preference? Wow. 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 My, my, and my. are you willing to do the same? Yeah. Because 
if any, there are men out there, if you do not have any men in your life that are like that, it's going to be hard for you. You're not going to go very far. You're not going to go very far without it because that's how God ordained relationship. That's how he ordained relational intelligence. And Kyle, when it comes to that, men and women, it really saddens me to see the lack of relational intelligence we have in the body of Christ. There's so much of a lack of relational intelligence. And the reason that we have a lack of relational intelligence, especially when it comes to men, is because we have a lack of intimacy with God and an understanding biblically of how community should look. And when you don't understand how the framework behind it, you don't understand how that looks, you're not going to demonstrate it. It's not going to be shown. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, you know, Karen. when's the last time there was a check-in? You know, it's guys were a lot of guys have been taught that the suppression of their emotions makes them more of a man. I I I said um I said a while back, and I remember I was so I I have my master's in counseling. I was one of two, or sorry, I was one of three guys. And so it's like me and like 30 other girls. And we were talking mm -hmm. about something one day and they kind of like asked our opinion. I was like, number one thing that like you should know about, like if you're dealing with, like with male clients is that they, the, they have been told that they cannot show weakness. Mm -hmm. like, many, like men, I was like, number one thing is men will die. Yes. Before they show weakness. And, and, and many do like, like yeah. it's men's mental health month. Like yeah. men outnumber women in terms of suicides staggeringly. Just like so many times because they, they say, if I admit this, that means I'm weak. I can't, yeah. like, I've been culturally conditioned that it would be better if I was a corpse on the ground than to be weak. Yep. That's right. And because we've been trained to not show weakness and a lot of men grew up in environments where they were forced to survive. Yeah. Not showing weakness was dependent. Uh, survival was dependent upon you not showing weakness. Yeah. And if you show softness or weakness in any way, then that could be the end of you. Right. And so those are unhealthy, toxic environments that actually don't create real men. They can create toxic men. Because they're not trained to understand that your masculinity is not tied to you not being able to express yourself emotionally in a healthy way. And so when you get in a relationship or you get in a marriage, it's hard for you to open up to your lady. You, you're not able to give her what she needs because you didn't get what you needed. Yeah. And it's, it's always been funny to me, Jeff, because in my mind, like, I'm like, to me, the real weakness is not being mm -hmm. able to like, I'm like, you're, you're so just struggling with the, the ability to express yourself. I'm like, that's weakness. Mm -hmm. The thing that like the idea that like you have these natural emotions and that yeah. you, know, you have these hardships that you go through and that you have these very real human things. And the mm -hmm. fact that you can't do that to me is, is the real weakness versus being able to like, kind of shove it all down, soldier on, say, like, you know what, that's not, yeah. that's just not what we do. That's not what men do. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and there are times that, and it's all about having a healthy rhythm too, because there are times that, hey, we have to be tough and right. we have to move past our emotions, man, I'm going to just get it done. 
there time there are times for that right. but where i come from just throwing you need to stop being soft and man up is not help a man heal it it deepens the wound um like i posted um uh, i put a post up a couple weeks ago that got a lot of interest and engagement um uh, it's a meme basically of of a mother um, with oh, I think I've seen you know, yeah, I've seen yeah, that saying, one around. Keep yeah. crying. I'm gonna give you something to cry about. I'm even throw some statements out there. Keep crying. I'm gonna give you something to cry about. You better not cry. Boy, men, boys don't cry. Men don't cry. Yeah. And so that is something that a lot of kids grew up with. A lot of men grew up here. Young men grew up hearing. And so then the other picture showed him now in a relationship, and the woman says, "Why won't you open up?" Well, I wonder why, because this is how he's been conditioned. So now that we know this, this is a problem with a lot of guys, how do we overcome it? Now I'm into the how too. I think part of it is definitely creating those safe spaces, but the guy, the man also has to be willing to grow and he has to be willing to learn differently from what he's been conditioned to learn. Because, you know, if, if we're not willing, it, it's funny, um, Josh McDowell, known, you know, theologian apologist who wrote uh, evident, new evidence that demands a verdict. I love that. Anybody listening, please check it out. But um, he said that he was sitting down with somebody who had a problem believing the Bible. The guy said, well, Josh, I, I just have an intellectual problem with, with scripture. I just have trouble believing it. I don't believe that it's real. I don't believe that God is real. Josh asked him an important question. He said, okay, if I were able to show you that the Bible is the most reliable piece of antiquity in existence, if I were to to prove the validity of what has happened in this book, would you believe me? The guy said, no. He said, okay, you don't have a mind problem. You have a will problem. And so how, how how does that relate that if a man has uh, has been so beat down by life and felt so defeated, it really takes the strength and the courage of other men surrounding him and pumping strength into his veins for him to rise up and know that he doesn't have to stay where he is. In other words, like you have to want it. Yeah. And it's that, it's that communal dual effort yeah. of men pulling. It's like you said that it's mm-hmm. sacrificing to get you to where you want to go. And if we both yes, end sir. up doing that, then that's, that's what, um, that's what ultimately boosts us up. And that's what ultimately brotherhood looks like. I hate, we've been going for a minute now, but I, yes, sir. I kind of want to, I'm, I'm like, ah, what the heck? We're going to open this can of worms. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm having, I'm having fun talking to you. It's you oh, know, good. I, Me too, I'm man. I told you too much longer. But one thing I wanted to, what I was curious about is, you know, for those who uh, who have been listening um, and, you know, we don't have video. Well, we have video, but y'all don't have video. So I'm white. Jeff is black. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff, I, I, could you, could you maybe speak to the ways that you feel like maybe your race is kind of shaped and, you know, you, you mentioned like you're on the blackmail task force at your, your school and, sure. and what, what has been, um, you know, your experience and kind of all the stuff that we've talked about, but specifically coming from the perspective of, of a black man and, and what is like to you, what does black mis- masculinity look like? Oh my gosh. 
Well, first, when I, I think of uh, blackness and masculinity, um, we have to really, we can't ignore like the depth of our history and how the black man has had to endure so much. Right. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois talks about in his work, literary work, the souls of black folk, the double consciousness. Right. And when we he said the double consciousness, he's talking about the consciousness where black people have to be. Oh, uh, they're trying to grow in who they are, recognize their identity, recognize their own uh, uh, what they have to contribute to the world. But they also have this dual identity where they have to also they're also fighting to be mindful of how they're perceived in the eyes of white America. Yeah, And so yeah. that's the double consciousness that Black men deal with a lot. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the reality is we've seen so much happen. Uh, I feel like 2020 was a huge, it was the beginning of a huge divine reckoning for America. The America still is in need of a divine reckoning right now with George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd. We've seen even before that Trayvon Martin. Um, Brianna, uh, Bri- we've seen Brianna Taylor. We've seen um, not only Brianna, but um, just Tamir Rice, Orlando Castile. I could go on with Botham Jean with the different names of Blacks who've been uh, murdered, sadly. And, and that wasn't even the beginning of it. Racism wasn't just beginning. We know it's been around for years. It was just being filmed. Right. It was just being filmed. Yeah, but um, I think of strength. I think of you know endurance, and the fact that you know when I talk to my students, I always affirm their identity. Whenever I see a young man who's out of class, who's you know uh, not doing what he should be doing, who's either skipping class or who's being disruptive, the first thing. I, I, I try to do is pull him aside, ask him questions, get to know him and talk and try to remind him of who he is. And sometimes I'm firm when it's needed, but I think it's even more important for young black men to affirm their identity because so many of them have endured trauma that, you know, um, uh, that a lot of people, a lot of other races as well have not had to endure. Right. And for example, you can't, as an educator or, or, or anywhere, you can't just tell a young black man, oh my gosh, I, I, you're acting up or you're not doing, what you, I'm going to call the police. And there, I, I heard, recently heard a story Kyle of a white teacher who did that. There's there's been because quite a few, and it's there's been quite a few. Yeah, awful. Yeah, awful. I I mean, and this was this was recently where there were two boys. They were not even destroying anything in the class. They were simply being. They were being aggressive. They were having fun, and she perceived it as them. Oh, you are fighting, and immediately she said, "I'm going to call the authorities." But what she failed to understand is that when you say something like that, that usually when you call the police, that doesn't always work out well. That doesn't work out well for us. 
Right. And history and news and media has proven that. And that's that's a trigger. Because sadly, because of the images we've seen in the media, a lot of young black men are being raised in a generation now where they don't see police officers as safe. And, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And of course, not all police officers are bad men either. That, you know, I know uh, I'm friends with some officers that are good, upstanding men of character. They'll lay their lives down. They have integrity. Sadly, that's not happening everywhere. And so um, me being on a black male task force in my school last year, my the superintendent basically funded my school uh, and another school is pilot schools for the uh, black male mentoring program. It's called uh, AAEEBB Academic Advancement Excellence and Equity for Black Boys, because honestly, the disparity that we've seen, we've seen a high uh behavior referral rate and a lot of test scores you know are low and sadly it's linked to a lot of trauma that these boys have suffered outside of the classroom yeah you know um either you know in families or going through situations with their fathers and so basically we're we're doing something about it my principal appointed me i'm bringing good men to exist and they get involved and we're just going to take uh, advantage of this, create structured mentoring programs, have activities, have sponsors, and uh, keep them accountable through the year. So yeah, that's that that would be my gist. And I, I think what I would also say to the church, to uh, the multi-ethnic church or multicultural churches, when you celebrate diversity, but ignore disparity, our disparity, that's hypocrisy. Right. Absolutely. You, you, you can't. And you talked about this even on your platform before I've seen it. you address these issues a lot. And I appreciate it. You know, I, I think the, the awesome thing about Jesus, even when it came to masculinity, Jesus was a man's man. And that's why so many men followed him. Look at the following that he had. Mm-hmm. He was a man's man. He was self-sacrificial. Jesus would break the, our rules, the rules of the time all the time. He didn't. He. He turned the world upside down. But the thing about him is he understood that in order to stand up for anyone, we had to first be willing to sit down and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Jesus had many conversations with people that nobody else would have conversations with. We look at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. The Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, they called them Samaritan dogs, which comes from a long history stemming back of uh of assyrians invading israel and then and mixing with the races and then so jews didn't see they called them half-breeds so there was racism even during that time in many places but the awesome thing about jesus one thing that jews and samaritans had in common they loved jacob and so jesus met this woman at jacob's well at a place where no one else would meet her Mm. He crossed racial and cultural lines. This is why was proves this. When the disciples saw him talking with the Samaritan woman, they said, Master, what are you doing? In other words, why are you talking to her? You're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And even the woman was shocked when you want my Samaritan lips. You're okay with my Samaritan lips touching this, this cup. Mm-hmm. You're okay with me getting water for you 
she was shocked. He crossed cultural lines in order to reach people that nobody else would. And so what, what the reason why I'm saying all that, what do we get from that? I think that we have to get to a place where we just understand that God called all of us uh, human, mankind. If we're going to get to a unified place that we cannot do it as a divided body. Whether you're Asian, whether you're Caucasian, whether you're Black, whether you're Hispanic, God created all of us in his image and in his likeness. And we have a responsibility to address disparity that all of us face, even if it's not something that we faced ourselves. Right. So. And I, I've just, I feel, I think you and I might need to write a book about this, but like, I feel a very strong and, and I, and I feel like this comes in different ways, but like, I feel like we as Christians really need a strong theology of brotherhood and, and, and siblinghood. And, and to me, like it's, it's looked at in several ways. And I've talked about this, I think on the podcast and different things where I'm like, my, like I have a, I have a younger sister. Um, she's one of my best friends. I love her to death. And it's just like, they're, they're like, I mean, I would do anything for her. I would sacrifice anything for her. I would, you know, I want her to flourish and live a full life. And, and I think we just, we so often miss out on opportunities to be spiritual siblings to one another. And I think, you know, kind of everything that you were just saying, it, it just really, I mean, there's no, you can't talk about masculinity and the problems that you have with masculinity without talking about the issues that are raised by being, uh, yeah. by being a black man about, you yeah. know, being about being somebody who, um, uh, who is painted as a criminal or um, who is painted as, you know, tough or mean or strong, or is just not given the freedom to be who they are. And is instead painted as one particular stereotype. Like if you're, if you're talking about masculinity and you're hitting like some of like the underlying issues, but you're not ignoring, you're ignoring the ways that like your, your brothers, like your, your, your spiritual siblings in Christ are suffering and are, are being, I mean, you literally, you just gave a whole laundry list of names are being cut down in the streets because of these things, then you're failing, you're failing to be the people of God to your brothers and sisters. And I mean, to me, I'm like, that's foundational Christianity. That's loving your neighbor. That's the greatest commandment. You know, that should be the easiest thing to me. And so I just, you know. And you said something key just now. uh Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, your, your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And when there is, um, when we have all, when there is racism, when there is hatred, when there is bias, when there is injustice, that's not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Not yet. And right. Anything that violates a command from Jesus is a gospel issue. And I say that because you also have, sadly, believers that will say, you know, the gospel is not a social gospel and will use different excuses to kind of would try to veer away from the very thing we're talking about. When, if we're image bearers in Christ, if we're not loving our neighbors as ourselves, especially when it concerns this issue, this is a gospel issue, which means we have to address it. Yeah. And it's, I'm like, and I'm, I'm sure 
people who follow our stuff, you know this, but like, you know, I'm definitely of the mindset that the Bible does address not just individual issues, it, it addresses everything. Yes. But that's my thing is it's that even, even with people that just say things that are like, oh, it's just an individual, you know, it's, you know, it's hearts and whatever nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really have a whole lot of patience for it, but clearly, but um, I'm like, even then, like it would require that, like if you and I are in the same church, it would my if I held to that mindset, it would require you or me to like look at you, Jeff, in pain at everything that's happening and be like, oh, well, like I and that's not loving that I like foundationally. That is that is an unloving thing to do. That is a that is a tactless thoughtless gospelless thing to do that is of that is of the first importance yes and so it's just it's like even it, it just it comes down to so many different issues and stuff like that but it just it's such a crucial core thing that um and it just uh, yeah it's i could go on and on but <laughs> yeah you know yeah. we've uh <laughs> But yeah, it's it's just it's so crucial. It's so crucial in how we think of ourselves as men. I think it's and kind of to your part, like as a gospel issue. I think it's a core issue of who we are as men, of like how we of how we live out, um, of how we live lives of of justice and how we live lives of being, um, you know, being defenders of the poor and the marginalized and the cast yes. down and lift yes. up. Like that is, I mean, right. again, to your point, like that is what Jesus did. Mm-hmm in his masculinity and his manhood. Like that was his performance on that. So I think like when we want to be more like Jesus, we do things like that. That's right. Yeah, man. I, 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 oh my gosh. I think, um, I think about Psalm 89, 14, uh, where it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Yep. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Um, Justice is a major theme throughout scripture. It's a major theme. And um, we think of seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with uh, with our God. Uh, there were, I mean, times, I mean, the, the children of Israel were God's people. They cried out for justice mm-hmm. when they were uh, in bondage. They cried out for God to free them. They believed, they, they cried out, God, deliver us. And um. It's, it, it, you know, I just can't help but think about just how faithful God was in delivering his people from the injustices that they suffer, even in Egypt, you know, even the oppression that they suffered um, and how he heard their cries. Um, but yeah, man, I just I just think, you know, we all have a long way to go. We have a responsibility and um, we were created to be loved by God, one, and we were also created to love. So that there are two responsibilities. And if I even had to define manhood, it's taking responsibility spiritually, naturally, it's taking responsibility for your life and and all those around you by completely surrendering to the will of God for your life. Mm. It's taking responsibility through surrender because everybody surrenders to something. Yeah. And it's just a matter of knowing what is that something that we're surrendered to? 
Well, amen. (laughs) (laughs) I got, I got nothing more uh, after that. Jeff, thank you so much. We talked for a long time. It was awesome. We're yeah. I loved uh, getting to chop it up with you. This is so good. Um, yeah, where can, so where can people find you on social media and, uh, good men do exist as well? Absolutely. Uh, follow me at, at Mr. Jeff Tyler at MR Jeff Tyler. Okay. Um, our good men do exist pages, uh, good at good men do exist official mm-hmm. at good men do exist official and, uh, at good men movement. Those are, those are my pages. So at MR Jeff Tyler at good men do exist official. And um, at Goodman Movement, that's where I can be found. Website is goodmendoexist.org. All right. Well, go visit those things. Buy yourself some some nice swag. Um, support Jeff. Uh, thank you so much again. I appreciate you being on here so much. It was so great talking with you, brother. Thank you, brother. You too. Honored, and I, I thank God for you. And we can't forget about that axe throwing. I'm I'm putting on my calendar. <laughs> December, we're gonna get together. Yes. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the Orthodoxical Podcast.